Clark, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. I'm an evolutionary astrologer, a clairvoyant, and a thought leader, and I started this podcast to have eclectic and impactful conversations about astrology as well as all things spiritual and personal development. I am getting back to having some interviews to share with you all, and I'm super excited about that. It is good to be getting back into doing interviews and just feeling better in general. So thank you um, for all the love in the recent time of the month, but I mean the love in general, but also just Today, actually, Spotify Wrapped um, has been telling people about their top listened podcasts. And so I got tagged in some stories. I love that. I love that you are tuning into the podcast um, and keeping the fire lit here. So this episode is with Anastasia Wasco, who's one of my students, an OG student in the Evolutionary Astrology Intensive back years ago, and more recently, Meteorite, which was a longer program that involved producing a project um, as a scope of the, the course. Anastasia has the Sun and Mercury in Sagittarius, and that is where, you know, at the moment of publishing this, the Sun and Mercury are in Sagittarius, and, you know, in the spirit of Sagittarius and this kind of vast ranging, explorative, adventurous archetype, we went to a lot of places in this conversation, beginning with the concept of a live language, which is something that touches me, you know, to think about the word as alive and what that, you know, how we would relate to language as it were alive. Um, we discussed Anastasia experiencing a hurricane recently in New Orleans and the the experience of going through that with an astrological lens feeling into what parts of Anastasia's chart were kind of awakened and enlivened or touched through that experience both by transit and just having that map of knowing how how we're being touched through our chart. And specifically in this episode, we talked about Chiron, the asteroid Chiron in Taurus in the 12th house um, and how that had to do with connecting with resources or survival essentially in a crisis situation involving water, 12th house, you know, a, a kind of all consuming body of water kind of situation though Anastasia is obviously all right. Um, and we talked about how when in crisis or when things are kind of not going to say plan uh, because the environment is chaotic or, you know, something emergent is happening, that in those kind of spaces we can connect with magic or miracle, luck, um, and the like through participating with spirit. We also discuss spirituality in the world as opposed to away from the world, say like in a like-minded community or a spiritual center like an ashram, you know, and the value of bringing one's spiritual vision um, into one's everyday life and how we would participate with um, anyone that we meet. 
We discussed creating culture through publishing and media, how we are literally influencing people and just kind of felt into that, like energetically to, you know, not take it for granted that when we share our ideas or put ideas out there that we are creating culture. We discussed out-of-body experiences and more. So we're going to go there. But before we get into this conversation, I'll share a little more about Anastasia. Anastasia Wasco is an editor, writer, and self-transformation consultant from the New York, New Jersey area and currently living in New Orleans, Louisiana. With a BA in transpersonal psychology from Sophia University, formerly the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology, her creative output is largely inspired by psychological processes and the anima mundi. Wasco's fiction and creative nonfiction writing have appeared in the Space Cowboys Simultaneous Times podcast, Thrive Global, and in Journal of Exceptional Experiences. Her debut work of autofiction, 713, was published in 2003. Her most recent work of autofiction, Meta Work, was released in 2021. Wasco has spent several years working on Mindfield, the official publication of the Parapsychological Association. Her copy editing work has covered a wide range of material as well, from nanotechnology to anti-racist organizing. Wasco's self-transformation consulting practice focuses on creating personal narrative shifts through a spiritual worldview, writing, and reflection. She is an advanced Reiki practitioner. Wasco has studied Ayurveda and yoga culture for many years. Dr. Vasant Laud and Ma Ba are her most profound teachers. She is currently exploring evolutionary astrology and psychosynthesis as additional tools to access higher purpose and achieve wholeness and inner peace. More information can be found at AnastasiaWasco.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm here with Anastasia Wasco, and Anastasia just did a fire ceremony for us. Um, so we just got to drop in via that meditation together. And I'd like to invite you, uh, Anastasia, to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about the ceremony that we just did um, and about um, your practice these days. Thank you. My name is Anastasia and I am just a human. I'm also an editor by trade and a writer. And my practice uh, which I just shared part of with you, my practice with fire via the Homa uh, fire ceremony um, is a way for me to be present in my being and to turn on that feedback loop that connects me with my soul, my higher self, with anything that I encounter in my day-to-day -day and my life. The fire ceremony is a point of meditation that that's just very grounding for me. But in addition to the Homa, the fire ceremony, um, I bring in movement to my practice, daily movement, whether that's yoga or some dance and reflection and writing in all forms are part of my practice because I believe that words are energy and words have their own energetic imprint. They are things unto themselves. And so 
engaging with my own mind, with my own thoughts and with the words that meet me is also part of my practice every day. So we've spoken before, you've um, told me this term, I think it's like a live language or what? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just reminded of that with what you shared about words being alive or having energies unto themselves. Um, so how does that like, you know, how do you work with a live language? How would you describe that? You know, all language to me seems to be alive until we demand it fit a form. And by that, I mean that anytime that you encounter someone, you know, maybe on the street and you have a passing conversation and something in that conversation really ignites something in you, the language is alive. Or you might be in regular conversation with another person and something that they say is really triggering for you. And that is also language being alive in both ways, you know, in, in a way that might feel good. You know, it feels good to be ignited and motivated and inspired, but also in ways that feel not good. Language itself is this sort of like almost like this little bomb that can be dropped into a consciousness field, right? And so the aliveness of whether that language sets you off in one direction or another is how its energy is working on you. Is that clear? I know that it's a little bit abstract, but that's clear. Okay. Yeah, that was a beautiful definition. And I like that you used the word ignite to connect with the fire. But, you know, something about you that I've noticed um, from being in spaces with you is that you're an amazing storyteller. Um, this you. is part of the genesis of this conversation was, you know, you telling a story in class and so many of us just getting chills. Um and so I wonder, you know, for you, how you contextualize from, you know, say like an inner mythic perspective or like an archetypal perspective or just your philosophy with like living language, like where does your storytelling come from, you feel? There's a story to that, but, you know, we got time. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that it really came from the gift of mental illness. And I'll just like, you know, start there because it's really where it did start in that I didn't realize that some of the ways that I process and receive the world were different from the ways that most people do. I have bipolar disorder and I've been living in recovery for several years with it. And I preface that because there was a time when the aliveness of language was just lit up on my screen when I couldn't quite differentiate what was real or what was a quote unquote message or something that everything, you know, could ignite me. And then so many things could trigger me. And I was just, you know, 
all over the place. And a live language also goes hand in hand, I think, in my opinion, with magical thinking, because it's also coming from a place where you have agency to act upon the world, be enacted upon, but also be an active creator in it. And so when I was younger and having some of the more difficult depressive or psychotic episodes. And I didn't, what I do remember during those times was that every word felt alive and every, every conversation was again, just it enacted upon me in, in so many strong ways that once I started on the path to recovery, but also through a very strong practice And at the time uh, that included a lot of yoga and meditation with fire and also a lot of acupuncture, I started to come back more into my body, more into my mind and more into my being. So I recognized that the aliveness of the language wasn't like on full blast all the time. It was in more manageable, accessible sort of ways that it came to me and that I could receive it and I could do something with it. And I wasn't just going off the deep end again, either way. So while the experience of mental illness was difficult, one of the gifts was that is that it showed me there are places in between some of our more common or normalized ways of engaging with one another. And on language absolutely is one of those mitigating uh, variables. And language and a live language and identity go hand in hand with together. And by that, I can remember um, traveling, like hardcore traveling, just like living out of a backpack Um, super manic traveling, but going to many different countries where I didn't speak the language and kind of improvising communication. You could hear in someone's tone or inflection in their language, you know, um, if they were a helpful person or there was like, you know, something that concerned me or something that, um, you know, I needed to just walk away from, you could kind of hear it in, in the language. And in, in that way too, this alive language concepts or, or being alive and just listening to the tone of someone's voice and to hearing the energetics in their way of expression um, was also another compass point and, and way to engage with language and then there became this whole thing. And again, I, I play games with, with myself and my identity all the time, right? So I used to do this thing where I could speak German and I could speak some Spanish. And so I loved spending time in Germany or in the German speaking regions. I spent a few months in Austria, for example, um, a lot of time in Southern Germany. 
And I love speaking German because I didn't feel the weight or I didn't feel sort of like embedded backstory that I felt when speaking English. So I loved having to speak in another language because it actually made my own language and how I was resonating out into the world. It made that feel different. And, um, and I had like a different identity then because there were things that translated about me, but there were also things that didn't translate about me in my identity. So some parts of my language and describing myself and who I was could kind of fall away. And, um, I'm going to pause there because I feel like that's been a lot, but just to sum up the way that language is alive and is the constructor of reality and also the bridge that we have toward to get toward each other. And um, yeah, there's so many things around language that we could talk about. Yeah, I, you know, I actually thought that you spoke German, but I wasn't sure because Verena in our uh, meteorite class as well, I, I just remember you commenting on something and I was like, you can hear her speak in German, can't you? Like you <laughs> understand what she's yeah. saying because I'll watch her videos sometimes and just be like, I wish I spoke German so I could hear what she's saying in her native tongue. But yeah, it's... um. She, she's fantastic in her native tongue, just like she is in English. But um, I have a low key obsession with German hip hop and I've, I'm a little rusty with my German, but I, yeah, I, I did my junior year of high school in a gymnasium, which is a German school. So I had to write and go to school and um, speak in German. And it, it stuck a little bit because I also really love a lot of German literature. and. Um, when being able to read it in the original is just so fantastic. They are doing, some of the writers are doing things with temporality and space and, and cadence in language that just don't always happen in English. And so um, that's why it's so appealing to me. So I want to ask you, um, you know, in terms of astrology, I know that's like part of your practice as well. And um, I, I always feel such strong Sagittarius energy from you, which is your son, but I don't always feel people's son that strongly, but it comes through because you have this way of being very naturally philosophical and expansive, right? And even just the, you know, the way you speak of language with your Mercury in there by the sun too. Um, so I'm wondering if there's any, you know, parts of your your experience with astrology, either your natal chart um, or transits that you felt have become particularly alive um, and like breathing, like in your experience? Yeah. You know, once I found out, I believe we were in class and we were discussing Eros. Once I found out that Eros was conjunct my son, I was like, there we go. You know, creativity and language is my love language because that's what really makes me feel so alive. Um, okay. So yeah, going back to the question of what feels particularly alive and not necessarily comfortable, but alive as in like, this is what's unraveling and what's, um, unfolding. I have been 
living in New Orleans and this had, I've been there since the end of March. So when Ida came, this is my first hurricane in the South and I did not know what to expect. And I had been over the summer working with um, just financial stuff, working on manifesting more abundance, working to sort of understand my Chiron in Taurus in the 12th house placement. That's been a bit of an intense experience, but um, I think this is the hurricane story is really about going into the intensity of those experiences and making them peak experiences. So I'm in New Orleans and I had just arrived, basically just arrived there. And I sold my camper van because I had planned to walk all around town. It's a very walkable city. Um, and in the meantime, I was spending a lot of time working on some vision boards and working with the idea of a new business and trying to just cultivate more wealth, more abundance, um, around business. And I had been doing my morning movement, uh, sessions, my hula hooping sessions to a lot of pink because she's just like, you know, she's got that vibe that I wanted to embody. So the hurricane comes through and it just, it, it's so, it happens so fast. And, um, I was nervous because I couldn't get a ride out. And I was also nervous because, you know, like I had never been through a hurricane before. I didn't know what to expect. and was thinking worst case scenario because of what I had seen about Katrina in New Orleans of um, 16 years ago. And I wound up in my nervousness going on Facebook, going to this um, newbies group, this New Orleans newbies group and answering a post that a woman had put up about boarding her house because when I get nervous, I have to work with my hands. So she was like, I'm boarding up my house. I need some help. And then I'm going to get out of town. So I was like, cool, I'll help. That's just something to do. Right. And we, so I went to do it the next day and the rain had already started by that point. And it was just this dire in the back of my mind. I'm like, wow, okay, I'm just going to sit in my kitchen, you know, like, and just ride this hurricane out. And then she was like, Hey, do you want to ride with me to Texas? And I was like, okay, you know, like <laughs> I just met her, but I was like, cool, we'll do this. What? Well, you know, we're doing this. And so she winds up coming to, coming to pick me up. She pulls up, she texts me. She's like, I'm in the black SUV out front. And I'm like, okay. And I saw a Porsche out front. I was like, it's a Porsche SUV. Like, I don't, Really? I don't, I don't know. And the window comes down and I see her and she's got a haircut like pink. She's paint, playing pink on the radio. And I'm just like, wow. So I'm wow. like, okay, yeah, we're doing this. Right. So this is a person. The massage who, comes through. <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm doing this. And, um, yeah, the 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 trip was actually fantastic. She had an Airstream and I had a 
a tent and I went to camp near like the beach. It was like a grassy area by the beach. And she was someone who had, you know, a very successful career that she left, that she retired. And we were able to, in addition to listening to a lot of pink on the, you know, on the track, we talked so much about finances, about managing money, um, basically all the conversations that I needed to have and wanted to have. And also learned a lot about really sourcing myself for resource, being resourceful and um, just being okay with showing up. And what was really interesting was that one of the days that I was on the beach, um, just meditating, I was just sitting there and I started to hear in my in my head, in my mind, I started to hear, this is not your story. This is the story of someone who's being healed from financial crisis. This is something that is happening and it's not just you. So I really started to take that as the, the archetypes are, they come from really beautiful stories of these mythic characters before us and we can, we emulate them in our day-to-day life. You know, I'm not the only person who was learning about financial stuff. I'm not the only person who was needing to trust that what I needed to get out of New Orleans, that I would, you know, be safe. Um, This all took care of itself. And I was just willing to go along with the journey and willing to just let go and whatever happened was going to happen. And I was like, okay, you know, if I wind up hitchhiking back or whatever, I don't know how, you know, this was going to go. I was prepared for adventure and I certainly got an adventure, but it was just so wonderful too, because part of, um, part of the trip as well was just being met with so much kindness um, from other people who were there, who understood what it was like to go through a hurricane. And I felt where I, where previously I would, I was thinking that I didn't have enough time or money to, or I wasn't able to get myself out on my own. I, I couldn't have done it on my own. I just kind of went with the opportunity that showed up and it was um, it was a fantastic trip, and it also felt like it was a really big learning experience for me, because some of the language in my body and some of the language that I was getting from around me were not necessarily these verbal or in word sort of communication, but I was getting affirmation from the world around me, and in part of my teachers teachings or what my teachers always say is you just have to show up for the world and whatever comes go into that, you know? So like astrology has been so helpful to understand or to have a, like a conceptual overview of the greater stories that are out there. But, But then when we bring it down to our own lived experience, 
And it's like, okay, well, what does Chiron and Taurus mean for me in the 12th house? What does that mean for me? And then it's just about like, okay, well, this might have been like, you know, that experience that tipped me over from looking at, at that as a really strong negative placement to like a really powerful positive one. I, you know, I definitely came back changed but changed because I felt so received and so open to what was there for me rather than just sitting in my mind and like conjecturing, you know, whatever stories I just, I had to be open to receive them. And I think that's one of the ways that I'm feeling more fluent in the archetypal language, because it's one thing to sort of, sit with a chart and to, you know, take it on an intellectual level, but it's a whole nother experience to go like, Oh, I see this now. I see this out in the world. I see how, um, you know, like how the world is a reflection of this grander design, this, this thing that I'm part of. And none of this is really about me. I'm just, there bearing witness. I'm not the doer. I'm just letting the universe, the cosmos flow through me. And, um, yeah. Yeah. There's so much symbolism in there that we could connect to Chiron and Taurus in the 12th. Right. And I feel like working with Chiron, it's, it's really like a subtle body, but also so deeply felt, but subtle in the sense that like, it usually takes some level of like spiritual awareness to recognize like Chiron or Chiron's influence. Um, and I feel like you've brought this insight to our class as well in the way you've spoken about um, how certain spiritual insights, like our bodies have to be prepared to handle that voltage uh, running through us, which is such a Torian kind of piece of wisdom as well. And I really hear like the the resourcefulness of Taurus, like that side and the kind of, you know, 12th house experience of, you know, there's a, a big body of water that's coming in to potentially like, um, wash out the land. Like that's a very visceral, you know, 12th house image. Cause we can experience 12th house experiences as like a tidal wave for like really, overwhelming. Right. Um, but often on like an emotional level, or it feels like our life, you know, like something's getting kind of swirled up. And in this case, it was like a literal, you know, the weather and in that space, um, you know, it's interesting that you, you went to Facebook, this group from a place of anxiousness, uh, yet I've been thinking about anxiousness recently. Um, especially just in the context of like new energy that's becoming available. Right. And so some part of you, some spidey sense, just like some intuition was like, well, what can I do now? And it, you got the insight, the sudden knowing to like find something to do with your hands, you know, and it led you to this experience that, you know, pink, Pink is such a specific artist, you know, it's like an oldie in some sense. So yeah, right. um, to just have that synchronicity and, you know, to have your needs taken care of. I think what's really interesting about the 12th house, you know, and about any of the mutable energies. So Sag, you know, Pisces, all 
you know, included is like what it's like to kind of go out into the world without a plan and like kind of just be intimate with the environment and with the opportunities and like the intuitions and the nudges from spirit. Um, and I think that that can really show up in crisis situations because, you know, maybe some people do have a plan in crisis and they just execute it as planned, but oftentimes the plans are, you know, not necessarily super available, um, or things don't go to plan and you're kind of left with a, a necessity to participate in an emergent way in a chaotic changing environment. And I think that those moments can be these windows into seeing how we're always being like held or walked with. I mean, if we're lucky too, because sometimes, you know, we don't get to experience crisis situations with that much good fortune, but I do think sometimes that it comes through like that. Right. You know, I think that part of the shininess or part of the extra good fortune, I think was because of the synchronicities, because I felt that on some level, it was almost faded. And, and we've since become really good friends. We hang out all the time. Um, we kind of joke that, you know, like it just took us a hurricane to get together because we live in the same, basically the same neighborhood. Um, but I also think that the level of spirituality and trust in me is something that I have learned um, learned that it is a gift that can connect me to other people and not just sort of take me away into the spiritual practices. And so I love that you brought that up. Um, because I think that there is a really interesting misconception about what it means to be spiritual in the everyday world. I also have a sober lifestyle. Um, I have, I'm a vegetarian, usually vegan, um, except for my coffee creamer. Nobody's taken that away from me. <laughs> I have to do half and half. <laughs> um, but I do feel very called to be in the world versus living at like a spiritual community or some ashram or somewhere that kind of front and centers spirituality and culture and their day-to-day -day culture. And by that, I just mean too that, you know, like, I'm willing to meet anyone and everyone and, and have them be part of my spiritual experience rather than just having to those people who vibe with me or who kind of understand the lingo or, um, you know, I, I feel more and more that being spiritual is just about being out in the world for whatever comes through for you. You think Ramdas said, you know, to consider everyone you meet like a, a god in drag. And I, I used to not <laughs> vibe with that, and but now I do with the help 
of evolutionary astrology, because then I also realized like, oh, I needed this experience to kind of overcome some things. I needed to grow through this experience and I can see how being in the world is supported by this deep, deep, deep seated connection to spirituality that can show up anywhere. And um, so I think that my sad son is also, it gives me the, the, um, the propensity to make any conversation a spiritual philosophical conversation right it's like oh my god you know like shut up again how everything is connected and like that but um but no I think it's like it's a really um it's a really beautiful thing to be able to hold space for new things in culture and bringing such a strong spiritual lifestyle while not separating myself you know um I think it's also part of what I'm here to do I think that one of the ways too that we make culture is through publishing through media through communication and I've been a media professional I started my career making books um I'm now in advertising but I'm getting back into publishing and I, when you think about that from like a high level view, you know, like what, or even as a content creator, right? What you're putting out there is influencing someone and their behaviors and giving value to someone and shaping how they also interact with the world. And so a little bit of your spirituality becomes their spirituality because you're influencing them and we're make, making culture kind of together in a way. And I just would love to see more of that. There are loads of books on spirituality, self-help. But what I love seeing is how that's actually like out in practice in the world, you know? Yeah. So this kind of, um, it kind of goes back to your, initial question about a live language and how it's not just what I think about a live language, but it's also, okay, is someone going to think I'm nuts for thinking like this? Is someone going to think I'm nuts for abiding by magical thinking? And then it also kind of extends a little bit more to the question of mental health and mental illness. And so it's kind of like, okay, like if this person is having visions, is that, you know, uh, is something wrong or is something, you know, there that's very sacred, that's spiritual, you know, in certain cultures and communities, it might not get as attacked. It might be a little bit more acknowledged. Um, I spent many years traveling through South America and Latin America, um, and especially in the North of South America on the Caribbean coast, because I found those cultures to be way more accepting and 
open to an animistic worldview to talking about supernatural phenomena. Um, and as someone who growing up, it totally had out of body experiences on the regular. And I didn't even know it wasn't like a thing that everyone else did until I was like, you guys don't wake up floating. Like what, you know, wow, you know, definitely have been, you know, in communication with spirits and from my natal culture growing up in Northern New Jersey, you know, blue collar culture, it was just like, what is she talking about? Be quiet. Like you can't, you know, that doesn't even factor into any sort of conversation and spirituality was just like not, you know, just not something that really had um, any sort of gravitas. Maybe we went to church, we went to Roman Catholic church, but when I was in South America and people were like, wow, tell us more. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So again, traveling while I did a majority of traveling during some incredibly manic years, the gift of traveling like that was that I got to experience so many different people and cultures and understood the relativity of the culture in relation to a person's perception and beliefs. And that started to make so much of a difference when later on in my life, I, uh, I finally went into recovery and I started to understand there were some things that my body and my mind were doing that were aberrant, that were just, um, overloaded circuitry, unhealthy thoughts, unhealthy mind. But then there were some, there were quite that I was receiving that were quite numinous, that were quite special. And so one of the placements that um, in my natal chart that I've had to kind of just sit with and explore a lot is the proximity of Neptune to Mercury um, in Sagittarius, next sort of near my son, um, my seventh house is like the self and the other, you know, like floating in the numinous or making myself lost in this overload of imagination, images, sensory experience that has no uh, rationality to be found in it. But I, I think that it's also really important to have those kinds of conversations, especially with a person's Neptune or um, just with the idea of the liminal space and the place that you can go where you can either receive a lot of spiritual insight, transpersonal love, or it can actually be somewhere that you're just completely lost within and disillusioned. It's a funny thing about Neptune is it's an archetype that relates to like ultimate truth and also illusion and the Maya. And I feel like just working with Neptune, it is a working on 
spiritual clarity or even like I was just binge watching um Avatar the Last Airbender. <laughs> I just watched oh, the cool. thing. But the uh Avatar, you know, Aang is like talking with a guru who's telling him how to open his chakras. And for the third eye, the guru is telling him that, you know, this is the the chakra of something, I guess, around like spiritual clarity, like knowing the truth and it's blocked by illusion. And I find it interesting just like how when when a person opens themselves to the numinous or to psychic or clairvoyant information, there's also such a process around discernment that goes hand in hand with that. And I also want to comment on what you were sharing about spirituality in the world and like having a spiritual experience that's not um, limited to putting yourself in a particular environment that's facilitating a spiritual experience, but that you can find the numinous like in your everyday. And that just had me thinking about, um, you know, either the third and the ninth house or Gemini and Sag put together. And just those, those two polarities having so much to do with like our big thinking, our big cosmology, and then how it's going to appear in all the everyday local, you know, right in our backyard kind of way. Um, and it's part of, I feel like what's given me so much consistency or traction with my astrology as a daily practice is because it, it lights up those synchronicities, um, in the everyday. And so you just go out to the market or something and it's a full on spiritual experience because something synchronistic happens that wouldn't necessarily be a synchronicity if you didn't know what the moon was doing, you know, like, right, right. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. You know, I feel like I need to go back and spend some time doing some astrology, archaeology in some of my charts um, and in some of the traveling that I've done, I should say. I remember, so speaking about um, Neptune, but also Mercury and the influx of information that I you know, have learned to mitigate receiving and not being overwhelmed by it. So it was probably in like 2002 that I, um, I was traveling in Europe. I was backpacking in Europe and I was just in the middle of this like full on, just complete manic break. And I remember sitting in the train station in Lisbon, Portugal. And I remember seeing like letters flipping through the air. Like, um, I think there were lockers and I think there that on each locker, there were like, you know, identifying letters and numbers and whatever. And I, I remember like seeing them in my mind flipping. Right. And then I hitchhiked slash uh, train hopped to Fatima, Portugal. And this is, this was during the month of May when the apparition of the Virgin Mary of Fatima had appeared in 1912. So this was during um, May, which is basically the anniversary month. And so I wound up going to 
Fatima to the monastery to pray. And I remember being there and being so overwhelmed with light and love. And I remember seeing in the sky, I'm not sure what it was, but I saw like two really bright white lights in the sky. And I remember at that moment feeling the deep, deep, deep peace that I felt occasionally before, but I was like, wow, I'm surrounded by something holy. Like I felt so calm and at ease. And I, and I also remember at that moment in Fatima looking around thinking, how the heck did I get here? What am I doing? And so I feel like both of those experiences were kind of like two sides of the same coin, both different ways to experience uh, something in, in an exceptional state of mind, you know, going from like the manic thoughts that were just like rushing in and just like coming through and like caused me to think it was in any, you know, by any means safe for me to hitchhike to the mountains, but I did. But then when I was there, I remember just being so overwhelmed by the love and whatever, I mean, whatever they're doing there at the monastery in Fatima is incredible. Any of these religious sites with some sort of reliquary or um, deep devotional practice and, and I would say like the same for Lourdes and, you know, other sites around the world, there's something really interesting there. And so from every day, you know, synchronicities that kind of build up to maybe larger or more extraordinary experiences of the divine, you know, there's really like, I guess it really comes down to the individual to be able to not only convey the experience as happening, but to also make meaning of it. And one of the things that I do when I work with clients is I'm very uh, aware to simply bear witness. Oftentimes when I do a client session, we're quiet and I allow the other person to just voice or just elaborate on what's going on inside. And I'm not sure if it's that people with extraordinary experiences constellate around me, but it's just that they feel safe to talk about their experience with psi phenomena, to being out of body with, um, I had a woman who, felt like she needed to leave her church because she could see the future. And I was like, no, it's actually, it's okay. It's part of the natural human experience. It's part of the subconscious, th these energies that are emanating from us that we don't always know. And um, it's just about being in that space and even if your community is one person and, and I'm that community and I'm just one person I'm, I'm bearing witness to you then I see that and now you can start to make a culture around accepting and learning how to work with that ability within yourself 
And I love archetypal language because we do dip into some of the more extraordinary states through the archetypes. I think Uranian energy is so incredible. It feels strong to hold, but then, you know, advancing the exploration around what Uranian energy is in the mind, I feel like some poltergeist activity, you know, is Uranian energy just emanating out, you know, the mind interacting with matter in a unique way, which happens, I find, during your during Uranus transits, when there's like a strong download, like I just don't sleep. I just, I feel electric and I feel, you know, whenever Uranus is doing something super special, very active in my chart, I'm like, oh yeah, I feel that. I feel that hard, you know? Yeah, <laughs> completely. I want to come back to something that you alluded to earlier around like, you know, your capacity to talk with people that aren't necessarily like in the spiritual world or like using that language, you know, and I mean, for the podcast, you are, we are talking to an audience of people that are like interested in this stuff. Um, but I think it's interesting to think about, you know, for ourselves, for anyone who's listening, who, um, is a reader or like, sharing some kind of spiritual art, how we find our community, how we connect with our community. Um, you know, are we building a bridge to people that aren't familiar with the language? Are we in the language already? But I think it's really, um, you know, there's something magical about the way that you, you have people come to you who are like, I don't know if I even believe in this stuff, but I had this weird experience and I feel like you'd get it. Like you're kind of stationed, you know, like you're yeah. just doing anything and you have <laughs> some, part job. <laughs> some particular yeah. translation talent, you know? And so people who fit that kind of description find you somehow. Um, and yeah, I'm not sure if that's a question so much as just like reflecting that, um, I think it's cool that you have that experience, um, and that you allow it and lean into it and have a way of, um, not being, not being disturbed by like the difference in like speaking, you know, the different languages, like that you find the connection. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I can say a few words about that. I, you know, um, I think it, it has to do with two things. And the first are my teachers. And when I say my teachers, I have studied Ayurveda and yoga culture for years, but my practice actually started with, um, <laughs> when I was living in Germany as a teen, I went into a monastery for a week into close to Boron, and we just meditated for like a week straight and um i it's it started with the sagittarian impulse of like all right i'll do that that's cool i'll, I'll go hang out with some monks and meditate and that experience changed my life because i wound up getting incredibly sick which you know i uh i i was just sick to my stomach the whole time and then leveled up on the Sagittarianness when I was like, but why? So now I don't want to know why, right? 
So then I started to seek out holistic systems of thought. And when I was 20, I went to India by myself. It was right after 9-11. And I just went to Kerala in, in India. And I, um, well, no one else was there because no other Westerner was like in their right mind would be in India right after 9-11 because it, I mean, everyone had fled, right? And I was there and I was like, that's cool. I wound up staying at an Ayurvedic resort. Uh, I had the whole place to myself. I had a yoga teacher coming from one of the temples every day to teach me. And then later on, um, I started studying and learning from Dr. Ladd, who would come to the ashram in the Hudson Valley in New York. And Dr. Ladd has an institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico, an Ayurvedic Institute. So that there are, so what I'm referring to here is how it's affected my body and my energy. And I've gravitated towards these holistic systems that have really strong transmission factors, which kind of means like I become a sort of beacon that people feel safe around me and that I have been doing a lot of different work with a lot of um, people whose lifestyles revolve around spirituality and being in different living situations. Um, I, for a while had an apartment that was like a two bedroom apartment, but I kept it as like, um, a sapphic place, like no, no meat, uh, shoes off. We practiced yoga, you know, so like I required anyone who was to come in to my living space, like you had to be able to do this, like you leave your alcohol on your knives or whatever at the door, like you can't come in with that stuff, you know? So I think after many years of doing this and, and learning from people like this, I sort of have this like, like this different vibration, if that makes sense. Um, so much to the fact that like when people come to me <laughs> and they're just like, I don't know why, but I'm drawn to you. And I'm like, well, hold up. What do we got to talk about? You know, like it doesn't, uh, and maybe this is just me trying to, you know, tell a story of how it got to that place. And maybe, um, maybe it just is, but it's been a really interesting journey to get here because of the way that I've taken this like holistic approach and just knowing that it's not just, you know, healing in the mind or the body, it's the being. And so the world is going to respond to you differently. And um, again, the gift of mental illness is that I do have memories from peak experiences and from exotic from psychotic experiences where um there's just like this audacity and this um no fucks given kind of when you're out in the world and you're so out of your head and like you just start to do stuff you know that it's just kind of like your baseline's a little bit different 
So I'm like, oh, sure. Pull up. Let's talk about aliens. Like, oh, let's, yeah, let's go do this thing at like, you know, two in the morning. We'll go do a ritual or something like it. Like it doesn't. Like I'm a little less uh, inhibited, I think. And that is also a way that I can take different entry points into culture and to engaging with people. And so I'm like safe in a way that oh, I've been crazy, but like, I can also tell you like the good part about that is like that, that childlike abandon never left me. Although I, I have to, like, <laughs> <laughs> there's times when I'm like, yeah. Should this be does that make sense? Like I am. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, listeners of this podcast may know my own experience with, um, you know, and I, I have a, I guess a different relationship to it in terms of, um, I don't identify with the diagnosis that I had and whatnot, but I definitely do think I was psychotic for a moment. So I know what it's like to have a psychotic break. And I just remember that I had a, a less of a filter between me and the world. I was way more willing to just go up to random people, um, because I felt the charge or the draw um, and I had some wild experiences and it was, it was fun. And I also like certain things were super embarrassing and I look back and I'm like, you know, face palm about it, but also like, yeah, the audacity. And I've been able to leave that experience with uh, really no fear around people thinking that I'm crazy. Like, you know, I just kind of gave me the freedom to like, have a podcast or like talk about astrology in the public. Uh, Cause some people, you know, do have an interest in astrology, but they're afraid to be um, out in the open about it because what will people think? But after, you know, for me, like the kind of psychosis has always felt like such a freeing thing. And um, you know, I don't know. I don't think everyone goes there. Um, right but it was definitely a freeing and liberating place to go and come back from. And I'm not sure, you know, I don't think it's talked about that often. Like not everyone knows someone who's just openly like, yeah, I've been psychotic before, you know Um, maybe it's rare for there to be uh, not shame or kind of stigma, or it's just not a huge part of the population. Um, But yeah, I just, I resonate with that. Um, that thank you that comes after <laughs> I love that you bring that up about um not everyone knowing someone or possibly not knowing someone because the thing is is that I think that there's a lot of misconceptions through media I mean especially around bipolar disorder so part of me kind of um showing up and being like all right I'm gonna talk about it it's because I want to not only show what it's what possibilities are so okay so there can be someone who is in recovery and I have a team of allopathic as well as naturopathic doctors um there is also something to be said about understanding that we aren't, you know, like continually or in a continuous manner, rationally minded. I think that's really important. And I think that some of the um, weird 
lingering story around astrology is that like if you're into astrology if you believe in the stars like there's something weird like okay like to me believing in astrology is just the same as believing in the stock market man i don't know what you know like those stocks are going up and down people trading left and right whatever it's just something i think about and you can think about stocks cool there's something about believing in something not necessarily tangible but i also love that you bring up that you don't necessarily identify with your diagnosis because for me astrology totally empowered me to talk about it i've got a situation and i've got a moon situation i've got pluto opposite my moon but my moon is sandwiched between diana palace and Eris. so i'm like oof okay no i have pluto opposite my moon too and it's actually astrologically like a a tell <laughs> oh. like a moon pluto like combination i think even especially the opposition is connected with like mental illness so gotcha. I do, you know, it's like i've been there but yeah I, yeah so my my moon is in the 11th house and it started to occur to me that like learning about my diagnosis and actually using that word plugs me into the stories of other people who've had it and other people who have been stigmatized and other people who didn't want to talk about their stuff. And so I'm just like, wow. So what I'm saying is I found community through this diagnosis. And even though I'm a little bit different because I do rely, well, um, you know, we each have our own treatment protocols, but I think that it's, been so freeing to look at that signature in my chart and then to also allow myself to like say or be more aligned with bipolar disorder the diagnosis because then I can kind of unlock the stories for the people you know like down the line or who are experiencing bipolar disorder and because not everyone looks at mental illness or even adverse episodes in mental health as spiritual experiences. And I've always found that really odd. Uh, I, I feel like I just came in with that belief, but like, I'm like, how could it not be? Yeah. Personally, I think it is spiritual. Like I do think, yeah. you know, you drew the distinction earlier between thoughts that were unhealthy versus numinous thoughts. And I think that, um, mental health has a lot to do with our thinking and, um, there's, you know, it's just my lived experience that certain thought forms cause distress and other thought forms are like liberating or empowering. And I think that like the compound stress of having a ton of thoughts or a whole paradigm that is in contrast with one's inner being or inner nature creates mental distress. And yeah. so it, I do think there is a certain protocol of like working with mental health of like organizing one's life to be in alignment with one's nature. And that takes insight and that takes time or like having the resources or the knowledge and whatnot and the will or the desire. Yeah, that's, um, I mean, it's a commitment. It's a whole job. And that's exactly what I wound up doing with my Ayurvedic psychotherapist 
when, um, you know, so some of the traveling that I had done was just because you couldn't pin me down. But then I started to realize like, oh, um, I spent a lot of time in the desert in Southern California. And um, we realized that the land balanced my prakriti. So it was balancing during the winter months that um, in, a, in a manner that was beneficial to me. And I love that you also mentioned the different thoughts because one of the ways that I love engaging with my own chart is by tracking the thoughts that come up, um, which is probably why I mentioned Saturn earlier in the conversation. Saturn thoughts are heavy, are, are like immobile. They make me kind of freeze up for a moment and, and be stuck in time almost. And so I think that there is a lot of work to be done there around my Saturn archetype, but also stories related to time and to work. And um, meanwhile, what I can also say is that I've done a lot of work with Chiron. And so where it previously, where he came through as that similar heavy, um, just heavy being, the thoughts are no longer like that. They're actually quite light and allowing for that breakthrough over the summer, you know, like that was just really wonderful. Well, there you go for a live language, you know, the quality of actually our interpretation of planets or our chart changing with time and with experience is the aliveness. And we do kind of, we're working with dead language. I think when we have interpretations of the signs that we're not willing to change like then we're just working with stereotype and not like the aliveness and so I think that willingness to be moved by our study and like by our life experience and keep it keep it moving uh keep it living it's just like being present with yourself when you know yesterday something might have been true and today it's not true the language is now dead. So let it go and let the words flow through you and become more alive. So how can people who've been listening to this, who feel ignited by this conversation, um, find you work with you, read your work. So you can find me online. My website is anastasiawasco.com. And I warmly encourage messages and people can just email me through the website or just send me a DM. I'm also on Instagram, um, handles my name, Anastasia Wasco. And yeah. And even if you don't reach out, even if you're just inspired or something today resonated, just pay it forward to someone you encounter in the day, smile at them or just, yeah, let some of this energy, this aliveness flow through you out into the world. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. 